0: Well, if you're paying attention to the, so far to the, the story in Exodus, we've had nine plagues. We've had pretty dramatic events going on. I mean, it's all really exciting. And then you get to chapter 12, and you get this long description of a ritual that's kind of detailed, and it seems to repeat itself, and it seems to meander. So there's all this action going on, this stupendous event in history where God delivered his people, and then right in the middle of it, God plops this ritual. What's going on here? I want to talk about this ritual and how we still, in some ways, celebrate this ritual. So the ritual, if you think about it, this is a one-time event. But for something like 3,500 years now, Jews have been celebrating Passover. So what was God up to? in in this amazing moment, giving them this ritual to celebrate. Well, Let me say a couple things about it. It's a ritual meal, scripted if you will, that they're, at, they're to do on a regular basis, that commemorates, that helps them remember God delivering them from Egypt. But it's really important that I say from the get go that when God says, remember something, he doesn't just mean the passive act of bringing it to mind. He means allowing that memory to shape who you are and how you imagine your life to consider the ways in which that memory, that fact of history changes everything about the way you see the world. And so he gives this ritual that at its simplest is a meal of unleavened bread and a sacrificed lamb. A meal of bread and meat. What is this meal about? Of course, we all know the, the understanding that it is a Passover. It commemorates when God brought judgment on Egypt. But when he saw the blood of the lamb on the houses of the Israelites, he passed over. But there's another tradition of translating this word. And that tradition means... It says something like, this is God's compassion or the sacrifice of compassion. It's the thing that God gave Israel to do, whereby they are saved, whereby they are delivered. And it manifests God's kindness and his mercy to them, his care for Israel. So it's a celebration of God's compassion on Israel through the events of this history But they do the ritual far more than the amount of time that it took for these events to take place. So here's what the ritual is about, among other things. It was about shaping their identity. It was about telling them who they are. And allowing that message of who they are because of what God has done to shape the way they live. They needed, God said, to be regularly reminded of this. And for them, it was their new year. We all have new year traditions. There's new year traditions all around the world. For them, their new year was this is where we began when God delivered us from slavery and made us a nation and gave us his covenant. We were slaves in the land of Egypt. And what I've always loved about this ritual, if you pay attention all through the scripture, you are to think I was a slave in Egypt Moses repeats the ritual to the generation that's going to take the land but remember one generation has died for many these were born in the wilderness but they're told you were a slave in Egypt and we are to think I was a slave in Egypt so it reminds Israel of who they are so that she can live out who she is in the promised land all right it's aimed it's geared it's pointed at their time in the promised land. Let me read this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is one example of the way that this idea gets applied. Twenty-four twenty-one: when you gather grapes in your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. You follow that? They're to remember that they were slaves, which is what Passover would help them do. And because they remember that, they were to have a specific practice when they harvested their grapes. What was the point of the practice? Well, there are vulnerable people in the land. And they don't have resources. They don't have lands. So by not stripping away all the grapes off of their fruit, they would provide for those in the land. Does everybody get where I'm going? They remember who they are. They remember what God did. It affects what they do with their property. And what it does with what they do with their property is help them to remember those who have nothing. Why? Because they know what it's like to be slaves. They know what it's like to be oppressed by Israel. Their treatment of the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, the point is the most vulnerable in their community, should be shaped by their experience of being slaves in Egypt. And that is what this ritual was meant to do. So it's a ritual. It's something they do yearly that shapes their view of God. He is compassionate on us. It shapes their view of themselves. We were slaves, but God set us free and made us his people. And it shapes their view of their neighbors as people to whom they have obligations. People whom they are called to think about and orient themselves to. You could say it's a ritual that shapes their worldview. It shapes their imaginations about how they see life and see one another. Now, if you pay attention, the ritual doesn't get mentioned a lot. And in fact, this is a problem. In fact, it doesn't get mentioned for much of Israel's history until 2 Kings. That's a long time. In 2 Kings, King Josiah reinstitutes the Passover. And we're to understand that the Passover hasn't been celebrated now for hundreds of years, maybe all the way back to the time of the judges. And that should tell us something. Because if you look at the history of Israel from the time of the judges to the time of Josiah, there's a lot of wickedness. There's a lot of Pharaoh-like treatment of people who are vulnerable in society. And it makes one wonder that if they'd been celebrating Passover appropriately that stuff wouldn't have happened because they would have remembered we've been slaves we know what it's like to be treated that way god has delivered us to take care of others Does that makes sense this ritual was meant to shape their society to shape the software by which they thought and lived in their society so it's a meal that reminds them of who they are and not doing the meal not doing the ritual seem to have led to a lot of injustice, a lot of sin in Israel, and ultimately to their being expelled from the land. So, how does Jesus reconfigure this? We know that Jesus reconfigures this. How does Jesus reconfigure Passover? Well, of course, we can begin at the beginning of the Gospels. John says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, if you're an Israelite, think about how bizarre that statement probably was. What could he mean by that? I mean, Israelites knew that there were lambs in the sacrifices and in Passover that were for this. But how could this guy be that? What is what's going on there? Well, in the New Testament, we see repeatedly verses like this. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. That lamb. That for thousands of years, planted in the people of God a certain way of looking at life, at one another. Now we know, Paul says, all those lambs were pointing to this lamb, our Passover lamb, who has been sacrificed. So he's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's our Passover lamb. How is Jesus a lamb? That lamb was sacrificed to protect them from judgment. And to nourish them as they departed slavery and entered into covenant with God. Jesus, the lamb, is the lamb that was sacrificed to deliver us from slavery to sin and to bring us, usher us into the presence of his father so that we could be his people, so that we could be changed in how we live. It's the same thing, but it's the fulfillment in Jesus. Now I want you to consider this particular thing about the gospels. If you pay attention to all the gospels and kind of look at the amount of material in them, in all of them. A large section of material is devoted to Jesus last week, to his death and to his resurrection. Okay, many people have said that you can think of the Gospels as long introductions, most of the Gospels as, as long meditations on the Passion. But what went on that last week? Well, it was the week of Unleavened Bread. It was the week where they're celebrating this very festival that we just read about leading up to Passover. So you could almost say that the Gospels... Our meditations on the true Passover that was fulfilled in Christ. All right, And they give us lots of material to be thinking about in all of that. So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, Passover night, the night when they had this meal, the night that he said he longed to eat with his disciples, in the middle of the Passover celebration, he takes a couple of elements of the Passover, the cup, And the bread. And he gave us a new ritual. Or you could say that he reconfigured the old ritual. But he basically gave us a new ritual. And by the way, it's the only ritual he gives us that we do all the time. He gives us two. He gives us baptism. That's once in a person's life. But here he gives us a ritual that we're to do all the time. That should catch our attention. And I should also add, That it's a tradition. I once had somebody ask me, why do you do communion all the time? Aren't you worried it's going to become a tradition? And my answer is, it is a tradition. When Paul talks about communion in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, I received what was handed on to me, and I'm handing it on to you. The words he uses are the words where we get the word tradition. He received something that was handed on to him. Whom was it handed on by? Well, it was handed on by Jesus himself. He told his disciples, do this. Do it all the time when you gather. This is the one ritual I'm giving you when you gather. So I want you to do it all the time. I think the Lord thinks it's really important. I think this is something he really wants us to pay attention to. There are traditions of men that God doesn't care about, but this isn't one of them. Amen? So it's a ritual that Jesus gives us that should remind us of what Christ did so that we can now live out new identities. So that we can now live out new actions in our lives. So let me comment a little bit on Corinth. One way to think of the book of 1 Corinthians is as a long sermon on Passover. The number of times that Paul brings up something related to Passover in Corinthians makes me think that is directly in the back of his mind. I don't know if it was Passover time and it was just on his mind. But he goes back again and again to the themes of Passover in his letter to the Corinthians. And he specifically says to the Corinthians, guys, you gather, you do communion. But guess what? It's not the Lord's Supper. You're living in a way that invalidates it. And his challenge to them is to change the manner of their living. And the simple way to put it is, and I'm going to simplify it this way for a reason. He says, when you get together, you have bad manners. What's happening is they're gathering in a house of a wealthy person. The wealthy people, the people with money, the people with reputation are eating in the dining room. Not all of them can meet there. The rest of everybody, the lesser people, they're outside, maybe in the courtyard. Those guys in there are getting lots of food. The people outside aren't getting lots of food. It's just bad manners. But Paul says, you've invalidated the whole spirit of the ritual. You're not getting it. Because if you get the ritual, just like Israel was supposed to remember, we were slaves in Egypt, so now we want to change the way we live in our society. They should be thinking, what does this tell us about who I am? And how does this change my Manners, my conduct, the way I speak, the way I interact. So he's got this deeply on his mind, this theme of Passover. Earlier on in chapter 5, Paul gives the very hard words in which he says, listen, if there, there is this man in this community who is in blatant, unrepentant sin, what you need to do, Paul says, is to turn him out of your community. He says, turn him over to Satan. And what Paul seems to mean thinking back to to, uh, to the Passover ceremony is, outside the house is where judgment is. You need to put him outside the house. Hopefully, so that he will repent. But Paul is again using the the images that come from Passover. And then finally, in that same section, he says this. I read this verse 7. This is verse 8. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Right? Paul's got, he's got Passover on the brain. And he says it still applies. We don't get rid of the literal leaven anymore. We get rid of the attitudes in our hearts that keep us from loving and serving one another like the gospel should transform us to love and serve one another. We get rid of that stuff so that we have sincerity and truth. They are not doing the Lord's Supper, they're invalidating it because their behavior, their manners doesn't reflect remembrance that they were bought with a price, that they've been set free from sin, that everything they have is a gift of the gospel and they're called to relate to one another in such a way that reflects that. Now Paul says, if you partake of communion without discerning the body and blood of Christ, you eat and drink Condemnation or judgment on yourself. If you pay attention to what Paul is saying in Corinthians, he's not talking about what you think about the bread and the wine. He's talking about how you think about the people around you. He's talking about the way you interact with the people around you. There's wonderful discussions we can have about how Christ is present in communion, but Paul is emphasizing here how Christ is, Christ is present in the people of God around him. Amen. So why do we do communion? Well, the first answer is Jesus commanded us to, and that should be plenty, but I'll say more. How we remember Again, back to this idea of remembrance, it's almost like Paul like God is saying and Paul is saying how you think of yourself, how you imagine your life, how you imagine one another, how you imagine God. It is a ritual meant to regularly rewire our imaginations. It is a ritual that we do that, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is to change the way we think about ourselves. Because out there, we're constantly wired to think differently about ourselves. We're constantly required or or pressed into a mold to think we're better than others or think we want to get better than others, to think we want to be consumers. There's so many ways in which or where we just think Resentfully about other people. We imagine them and we think about the things they've done to us in here. With the help of the Holy Spirit, our imaginations are to be rewired. To think, I was a slave to sin, but God has set me free. He has made me one body with the people in this room, every one of them, who believe in Him. And I am now called to orient my life towards them i am now called to be for them in the way that i live in the same way that jesus was for us so we're called to let these kinds of things fill our hearts every time paul says examine yourself when you come to the table and i think we often think well do i have any sin and i I need to repent and confess that that's true but i think paul is saying much more examine yourself if you believe in christ the father has connected you to christ Buried you with him in baptism. Raised you into his presence. You are a new creation. And these are your brothers and sisters. And you are here for them. So how does that change the way you relate? How does it change the way you go through your week? Does it change the amount of time, the bandwidth you give to yourself and your problems? Or does it turn you towards those people? In love, in service in consideration, in gratitude. I owe the people in this room my life, Paul would say. I owe them my attention. And this is what this meal reminds me of. This is what this meal teaches me to do. So I would say it this way. Paul wants us to think Passoverly about our lives. Actually, I get this from Drew Johnson. Turn it into an adverb. Think in terms of what is the new Passover that Jesus has accomplished, change about the way I imagine myself, the way I imagine God, the way I imagine all the people in this room, the way I imagine the people I am called to. I think for Paul, this is going to manifest in very tangible ways, right down to whom I greet, how I use my time during the week, how I use my resources towards others. So lastly, let me just put it this way, communion, as Jesus told us to celebrate regularly, it's to create gratitude in our hearts that God has delivered us from judgment and has delivered us from sin. It's to cultivate humility in us so that we now see ourselves as a joint of supply for other people primarily, As someone who's been given things that are there for the service of others. As Paul says in Philippians, think of others more important than yourself. It's to shape our identity. Where we see that each one of us are members one of another of infinite worth because Christ died. And now intercedes at the Father's right hand for these. And love. It is meant to lead us in sacrificial service to one another, whether that's prayer, whether that's a greeting, whether that's, hey, I'm not going to go greet the people I normally would because I'm going to go greet that person that I don't know, but to whom I'm called. Amen. 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 Let's stand up and we'll come to the Lord's table.